Welcome to the Skyward Spiral, a self-improvement and productivity podcast. I'm David Whitechapel. I'm a fiction writer and content creator, and I'm focusing on being more productive and efficient with my time and energy. I'm really interested in self-improvement and productivity and always aim to apply the best lessons I learned to my own work and practice. And I'm Brent Harris. I'm a productivity coach. And so what I do is I show people how to get into sustainable, high-level productivity. Uh, my big mission is to help as many people as I possibly can get into that state of sustainable, high-level productivity. Today's episode is called Launch, and we're really excited because we've just launched this podcast. We just put out the first episode. How are you feeling about it, Brent? Pretty good. Pretty good. This is a unique experience for me. I've never participated in a podcast before, let alone actually like starting one. So it's been uh, it's been awesome following your guidance and just kind of watching this whole thing unfold. Uh, very cool feeling to finally be at the launch phase. Right. Well, I'm no expert either, but um, I've, I've done a few, I've dabbled in podcasting a bit in the past, uh, but it still feels great to get this off the ground. And after all of this back and forth, we've been planning it, uh, coming up with the logo, um, coming up with ideas, and we're really excited to to have it out. I thought uh, like it's been a very interesting learning process, and I can't remember the last time I've been involved in a project like this where where it involved such cooperation, where you know you and I were coming together and creating this project and discovering our unified voice. You know, finding ways of you know, say, marketing or communicating or even putting this podcast together that is a, um, say, like accumulation or sort of a, a product of like our different perspectives or our different ways of coming at something. So it's been very cool to. It's just it's been a really awesome learning experience. Yeah, it's been great for me too. I've really enjoyed it. Um, so we'll be talking a bit about that today, perhaps. Um, but we're more generally we're going to be talking about starting new things in general which I'm something of an expert on because I start, or I have in my life started so many new things. Uh, and if anything, I pulled back from that a bit. And I'm going to tell you about why I pulled back from that and how I've done that. But really, this is uh, this episode is going to be about creation and making something new and uh, how that works. So if you're a creative or if you're an entrepreneur or many other things, you, you'll know uh, what we're talking about in today's episode. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I uh, I can absolutely relate to that too. I've uh, I have a lot of opinions on that cuz I know what it's like say to be a creative especially because it's it's so easy for people such as yourself, myself and people who are just, you know, who are easily struck with creative visions of like, "Oh my god, like here's something that I could make that I would like to make that if I could get myself to make it, I know it would be a good thing. And I know I would be happy to have done it. And I'd be happy to have done it and put it out into the world. And I know that the world would benefit from my creating it, at least in some way or another, you know, whether it's like a massive effect or even just a small kind of localized one. And, uh, and one of the major lessons I found in order for us to learn in order to start something and move it all the way through to completion is that the problem we run into is that there's such a massive difference between receiving a vision and actually manifesting it in the world, like actually putting the parts together. And what happens is like the vision comes to us so quickly and so easily and so fluidly. But I think a lot of us kind of stumble into this idea that the creation process should also be like that. It should be that easy and that instantaneous. On some level, I think that's what we believe, even if we don't 
you know, consciously believe and say that because it's not necessarily true. And so it's just this whole other skill set of, of having a vision and committing all the way through to completion, even when it gets, when it becomes drudgery, which it often does. And when we do that, when we master the ability to stick with something, even as it becomes drudgery to get to some level of completion with it, that's just, that's really when the rubber hits the road as a creative in my finding. Yeah. All right. So a bit of background on myself. I'm primarily a writer. I also make some other content and uh, have some other projects that I work on outside of writing, but primarily I'm a writer. So most of what I say is going to be about um, writing prose, creating fiction, but you should be able to apply what I'm saying to different things. So the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that I've never really had a problem with ideas. And I know uh, some people do have a lot of problems with ideas. So I'll come back to that later about how to generate ideas and stuff. But I've never really had a problem with ideas. And um, on the one hand, that's been great because I always have uh, new things to work on, new things to uh, plot, to uh, write little scraps of, to play around with in my mind. But more recently, what I've been attempting to do is to really cull back what uh, what are my ideas in storage and what are my ideas in progress that I'm actually working on. And I'm very, very deliberate about that. So nowadays, when I have a new idea, I write it down. First thing, very important, storage, write it down. But then I also consider where it belongs. And it could belong, uh, it could be incorporated into an existing idea I have. Let's say I have an idea for a character. That character could be incorporated into an existing story I have, perhaps. Or it could just be a character idea that I put on the shelf for a later date. And my... Uh, my workflow at the moment is such that I, I've chosen two projects that are my core projects that I'm working on uh, actively. And I bounce between those two. Everything else is on the shelf. It's labeled, it's accessible, and it's easily searchable, but it is on the shelf. And I'm very deliberate about how I do that. Um, so I'd call this process something like pruning. So I, you want to prune your ideas back if you want to do what I'm doing. You want to think about which ones are active and which ones are not active and you want to be very selective with your time and energy pick the things that you believe you can make uh, a reality now and you can put the work into and other things don't throw them away but for now put them in a jar put them on the shelf that's my approach to that it's an awesome approach i love it yeah it's really um about dealing with an overflow of ideas which I know is not something everyone struggles with necessarily. Like it's possible to deal with basically an underflow of ideas where you don't have enough. And I understand that. But if you're, if you are one of these people uh, like myself, where you're constantly getting distracted by a new shiny thing and ideas are always new and shiny when they're in your head, then I think this is a really good approach. I'm very clinical about it. I, I think, where is this going to go? And I label it and I put it away. Uh, and you can do this um, by hand. You can take notes and store them, or you can do this digitally now. There's lots of note-taking apps where you can uh, write things down and store it and, and file it and folder it, etc., in a way that you can access later. So I very much encourage that because it lets you... Um, what's important in actually, as Brent was saying earlier, applying yourself to and, and doing the drudgery and finishing uh, a project is focus and you can't be focused if you are working on 100 projects at once right uh, you can't really be focused if you're working on 10 projects at once we're only finite beings uh, in the end we're we don't we're not capable of that much and it's really good to be very selective and deliberate 
about what you're applying yourself to and how much energy you know you can spend on each project. Absolutely. I've really played with this idea of, of limitations because, you know, this might've been you as well, but like I, I came into this, especially when I was young, it was in my early twenties and I would have all these ideas and it'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to have a career in this and this and this, I'm going to complete that and that and that I'm going to do this and that. And I'd like, I'd amass this enormous stockpile of things that I wanted to, uh, to create and do and accomplish. And then what I found was that I did have limitations, even though strangely enough, I also felt and continue to feel unlimited, like in the sense of, in the sense of like any problem, you know, any problem or any sort of like roadblock that comes along the way eventually can be dissolved, it seems with enough attention and with enough problem solving and with enough focus, we can usually find ourselves on the other side. And in that way, I found every or any single limitation can often be broken through. And, and I wonder if, if you agree with this, you know, perhaps you don't, but, but no matter what, there is an upper limit at any given moment in terms of what we're able to accomplish. Say like, how much can we do per day or how much can we do over the course of a week, even though that limitation can be expanded over time. So say, if I do as much as I possibly can over the course of today and how much I possibly can over the course of this week, I can next week probably be able to do more than I did last week just because of how I grew in my ability to do these things, how I grew in my ability to focus. And so in that way, how much we're able to do expands, even though there always does seem to be a limitation at any one given point. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are fundamental limitations on our time and energy, and it's important to recognize that. So even though on the one hand, um, you'll have heard myself and Brent be very optimistic and say anything is possible, basically, which I do believe uh, in a macro sense, anything's possible, but there are fundamental limits to what a human being can do in one day right? and how much energy you have. Uh, and that's very personal as well. How much energy you have in the day, you know, when you're able to work hard on some things and when you're just not able to put in that much effort and you have to work around those peculiarities of your own body, of your own mind. And um, like Brent was saying, uh, you can learn to maximize your efficiency and to do better and better and to do more in a day and more in a week. But there is still uh, an upper bound to that amount. And you have to, um, when you're planning what projects you're going to do and what tasks you're going to set yourself, uh, it's very good to have that uh, upper bound in mind for how you plan your day and your week. And to honor it and to, and to let that upper limit be enough. Because if, if we don't do that, then what we'll do is we will... We'll put in as much as we're able to, to do, practically speaking, on that one day, but but then we'll think, oh, I should be able to do more. Why am I not doing more? And then this day, which would otherwise be a success because we just left it all on the court. We did our best. Like There's no other practical way of measuring a success besides that for my money. But if we just have like a day where we do as much as we can and then turn around and criticize ourselves for not doing more, that can be very demoralizing and it can take away from our productive flow because then we would have the temptation to do more, to push ourselves beyond our comfort level. It's kind of like when um, when you're told as a kid to clean your plate, even though like your, your uh, satiation levels are telling you that you're full, right? So you start ignoring your own messages your own fatigue messages and pressing forward and then you start entering into a burnout course which will derail you and then create more trouble down the road yeah burnout is is absolutely um one to avoid 
it's not sustainable to push yourself so hard that you uh, the next day is just a complete uh, zero day. What you want is a sustainable, as we've said many times, sustainable, consistent uh, work pattern where you can incorporate it into your lifestyle. And you're not just working hard one day, you're working regularly over many days. And mm-hmm. all of the big projects, all of the big endeavors by people, they're not achieved in a flash in a, in a short course in general. They're achieved over a longer period of time with consistent, uh, sustainable work. 100%. Uh, so I was talking about storing ideas before. I, I just want to mention the way I think about it is I think about it as decanting. That's why my own term for it is decanting my ideas. So I'm all of this stuff is sort of flying around in my brain and I just write everything down that doesn't need to be flying around in there uh, and decant it like you decant wine into a glass bottle. And I put it into my uh, chosen uh, digital note-taking storage of choice, and I don't need to think about it anymore. And I think clearing up your headspace like that is also very important. It's, it's the the things, the sort of unresolved ideas that are flying around in your brain. They can collide with other things that you want to be focusing on and really interrupt your train of thought. If you write it down and know that it's written down and safe and secure, and that you have access to it whenever you want again. You can just, it can just leave your brain. It can fly away. And now you can really focus on what you want to focus on. So whenever I have a stray idea, stray thought, um, even sometimes it's just a sentence or, a, you know, very small uh, idea, just a word even. I just, I write it down. It's out of my head. And whenever I want to refer to it again, it's there. So I really uh, strongly recommend for creatives of all kinds, carry a notebook or have a digital note-taking app of some kind where you can just dump your thoughts into just decant pop anything uh stray uh interesting into there and it's no longer bouncing around in your head doing nothing i have a question about that yeah how do you feel about like when you store ideas it might theoretically get to a point where there might be more ideas than there are than there is time to carry them out and carry them into fruition yes and like how how would you approach that like do you is there a plan to get to everything eventually or is it or is the idea maybe just to kind of to keep a stockpile of ideas just so that you can just have as many as you want there for you on command that's a good question um so i will say i'm always i'm also also always coming up with new ideas so certainly i've come up with new ideas faster than i am able to complete any of them So yeah, in the end, you end up with um, a surplus of ideas, a massive surplus of ideas compared to actual content that you've made. Um, But the reason to do this is because an idea is rarely just one thing. Often it can be incorporated into something else uh, with a small change. So again, I'm talking from the perspective of a writer, a character that was previous in one story can actually be sort of lifted and with a little bit of tinkering transferred into another story. Um, a plot device or a setting or um, anything really can be can be retuned and put into another place and work seamlessly with uh, with other ideas around it so all of these things are are multi-purpose they're not just one thing they're actually several things so the idea bank is not just an idea bank of oh each of these is a potentially new thing but rather it is a um, it's toolbox it's raw material it's a it's a huge library of uh, accessible information that you can rifle through and pick out anything you need at any time 
or it may even set off a new idea that will work with whatever you're currently working on. So the purpose of it isn't that these are all incomplete things that are yet to be completed, but rather that it's this huge reference bank of your own um, creation that you can draw from and be inspired by and re-implement in any of your future work. I appreciate that because like for me, whenever, like I would have a similar list, but for me, it would always weigh heavy on me as a list of things to get done. And so then like my whole thing was always about like, how can I get, you know, close as many of these loops, in other words, like how can I get as many of these things done so that I can get to the original done point? But it's kind of a, it's kind of cool to just like have a bunch of ideas there just as resources to draw on. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So, and you should feel no, um, you should feel no attachment to these ideas that they need to be completed or that they're in any kind of incomplete state where they're, uh, you know, where they're waiting to get done. Like you said, open loops, you, mm-hmm. you should, or at least for me, I, I have no connection to these things like that at all. It's just, um, yeah, this collection of thoughts and ideas and i don't have any uh feelings attached to their completion or otherwise if they never get used and get completely discarded that's also fine i just have uh, zero attachment to them at all hmm. but they're all there ready to be something if if they want to be i mean this podcast actually brent was uh was one of those ideas i had written some notes about the idea for a productivity and self-improvement podcast um i'd written some notes about other podcast ideas i've had in the past as well and this one ended up um reaching fruition and it was there for me when i when i uh ended up getting in touch with you it was there for me as a as a bedrock and a foundation to build on it was for me too actually which is probably why it it did come to fruition like i uh i almost wonder if we unconsciously found each other because we had both in some way decided that we want to create a podcast like this. And we kind of sort of in a strange way, broadcasted it out and, and received each other's broadcasts in order to, <laughs> to make it. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of that. Who knows how these things actually happen, but what's good about uh, if, if you had that there in the back of your mind and I had that there in the back of the, my mind, what, what that meant is ultimately when we did meet each other and started talking about the possibility of doing a podcast, we were both ready for it. We'd both primed ourselves for it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so we, we didn't have to do that, that laborious work of coming up with the idea and stuff like that. We were both ready to go, ready to make the thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think doing that, um, doing that uh, sort of inception work uh, before, like with these little ideas, storing them, um, filing them, etc. It does so much work, I think. I can tell you, especially in storytelling and writing, it really uh, accelerates the process of which you're able to create new material. Can you tell me about inception work? I've never heard that term before, and I really like it. Oh, I mean, I just came up with it. So inception just meaning like, you know, um, creating a new idea. I guess most people think of the film, but sort of planting a new idea, right? And if you're if you're faced with something entirely new, uh, entirely novel to you you're going to have to deal with that and put put it in a framework for yourself to understand it etc but what i was saying about the way that we came um we came about the podcast because we'd both thought about it before that initial sense of you know dealing with this novel thing has already been done that initial work of what would this thing even be has already been done. gotcha okay cool inception work i'm going to keep that one <laughs> i just came up with that on the fly <laughs> but if it works no Okay, so another thing I wanted to talk about was um, how important failure is. Failure is super, super important, and I say this as someone who um, is self-taught in a lot of way, in a lot of different things, like 
a lot of small things uh like piano i'm self-taught um writing most people are self-taught uh, most people don't take writing classes per se and uh even studying and things like that there's a lot of ways which you can sort of teach yourself things and um learning to teach yourself really shows you what kind of person you are because you have to be both the teacher and the student and you have to work around your own uh, flaws as a student and one thing i really found um learning stuff on my own and uh, especially with writing is that failure like learning to fail quickly and learning to learn from failure as much as possible is mm -hmm. super super important it's basically the core of how to learn to do something new you want to kind of fail your way upwards um as fast as possible you want to make as many mistakes and spot those mistakes and uh so that you don't do them again and you know uh how to make things better it's really uh, uh i it, i know it sounds crazy to frame it like that like uh like learning is just a constant litany of failures but really <laughs> that it's even if you're not making the failure you at least see the failure somewhere else and learn from it uh, that's really what it is so learning is learning what not to do and what doesn't work and by a process of elimination then you know what you can do and what does work so i i think it's super important and if you look at anyone successful they have a long history of working hard and what that hard work entails is also a long history of failure a lot of that failure isn't talked about because you don't see it but for take a, a basketball superstar for every uh for every um, slam dunk that they make they've missed a thousand you know in the, in the, when they've been training and uh for any sports superstar anything that they pull off flawlessly in execution they failed at that many times before to get to that point you have to especially the more daring and impossible the trick the more they failed at it before they were able ever able to pull it off and it really doesn't matter this is the other really important thing those failures they don't matter at all no one cares no one looks at those failures in the end they will only count you by your successes so it's not only important to fail as much as possible to learn as much as possible but those failures will never even count against you in the sense of you've done something wrong so for myself i really try and um i'd, I'd still have a problem with uh with writing getting myself to to the blank page and writing something i still have these fears of oh but i'm not going to write very well today i'm not going to write i'm uh, oh this is this is just crap that i'm writing today and i shouldn't feel like that because everything is is progress uh, all the bad stuff all the good stuff it's all progress and you learn from the bad stuff just as much as you learn from the good stuff maybe more so i try to remember uh, in my own working practice failure is good the more mistakes you make and the more mistakes that you spot that you make and are able to learn from, the better, the faster you improve. Absolutely. They become very valuable. Yeah. Those are all great ideas. I think there's um, there's one element about failure in particular that I think a lot of people get trouble with is the part where they fail at something and then they use that failure to draw a conclusion about themselves or about, about their craft or about anything. And so what that would mean is, you know, say somebody tries, um, say, skateboarding for the first time, they, you know, they, they try um, learning how to do an ollie. Have you ever tried that yourself? No, I've never really done skateboarding. I know what an ollie is. I played Tony Hawk's. Right, right. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, you know, so, and so, like, like I tried it. Like, I've never, like, taken up skateboarding, but, like, I tried it, and it, I found it is rather difficult. Like, you know, when it's done well, it looks really easy, but it's very, very difficult. 
And, um, and so people will try doing an ollie and they'll take a lesson and they won't be able to do it. And then what a certain number of people will do is they will see that failure and make it into a statement about themselves. And they'll say, I can't skateboard or I'm no good at skateboarding or I'm not good at this kind of thing. And then uh, that is a, a particularly dangerous pitfall because when that happens, then it's like all the growth is cut off right away and and success in that area is essentially impossible until that belief is addressed and changed. Yeah, I think you're right, especially when it comes to these absolutist statements, you know, I am no good at this. That's not just saying I'm no good at this right mm. now. That's saying I'm no good at this in general. And that's just not true. It really doesn't have to be true. Right. And then it gets even worse when people, when it's not necessarily about a particular craft or a particular art, and then they make it about themselves, like say on the subject of focus. So if a person or say motivation, right, it's like, you know, maybe they'll have a, they will run into some difficulty being motivated, even if it's for a long period of time. And then they conclude, I must not be a motivated person. I must be a lazy person. Well, that's a, that's a really tricky place to be in. Because, because like when, once we buy into that idea and then we believe it, then we start turning it into reality and then we start accumulating evidence to support it as a belief. And, um, and so then it's, uh, then it starts to kind of create itself in our lives. Um, so Brent, what would your possible solutions to these problems be? Right. Well, there's one that we can use that I've, it's really simple and it's just very, very powerful. It's kind of, um, sort of like uh, the way you can get like a, a crowbar underneath a, uh, um, a manhole cover, you know, say towards a sewer, like to kind of flip up a really kind of heavy, tricky belief. And uh, what you can do is you can say the following words out loud. So you can literally just say interesting point of view. And, uh, and I, I owe this to the, um, uh, these fellows uh, at Access Consciousness. They came up with this really awesome technique. And so what you do is Whatever, whatever it is that is holding you back in terms of your ability to start something and follow through and complete it. So say, for example, it's motivation and you just have a lot of issues with motivation. So if you believe that you are a lazy person or if you believe that you're an unmotivated person, then what you may want to just say literally with your words is, I'm lazy, interesting point of view. I'm unmotivated, interesting point of view. I, I have this point of view. And uh, it's simple, but the thing is, when you say it, then you're able to take something that would otherwise, um, it's been, uh, you know, otherwise solidified into, you know, reality in our personal reality, because we've been believing it for so long, and it's made itself real for so long, and we have all of this evidence to support its reality. So we could say, like, when we say, I'm lazy, interesting point of view, I have this point of view, we can kind of take it down in its significance from, like, cold, hard reality to what it always was, just a point of view. And that tends to be enough to kind of loosen it a little bit so that we can start replacing it with more conducive thinking. So just try that out. I believe you'll, and, and if you say it, and if you feel like a little bit of relief and just kind of, you just feel a little bit better, kind of like a little less heavy, then you'll know that it actually worked and it kind of created a little bit of a gap so that you can find new ideas for yourself and motivation. So that, that's the quick fix for that. Cool. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds really great. So kind of undermining your bad thoughts a little bit. Exactly so. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I wanted to come back to this idea of generating ideas. As I said previously, I've never really had a huge problem uh, with generating ideas. I've always had lots of ideas and my problem has more been executing them 
and uh, bringing them to life in some way, bringing them to um, creative uh, manifestation somehow. However, I know there are people who want to make things, who want to create things and maybe have trouble with ideas or trouble making ideas that they feel will work or that are uh, novel enough or unique enough, um, have enough of a sort of voice of their own voice in it. And I wanted to give some advice for that because I do, although I don't have trouble uh, coming up with ideas, I do know the processes that go into me coming up with ideas and when I come up with ideas. So firstly, the first piece of advice is to read more and consume more. Taking stuff in is is the, is the all of the raw material that will then, uh, you know, be knocking about in your head uh, and generating new thoughts. So whatever it is you want to do, uh, consume that uh, material if you want to be a musician listen to music you know if you want to be a pianist listen to people playing piano if you want to be a writer read more if you want to be a um, video game designer play more games and study them if you want to be a uh, entrepreneur study how businesses uh, have worked and, and what their practices have been etc it's super important to be taking in um, enough uh, almost all the time you know, consist consistently taking in new ideas uh, so that you can come up with new thoughts of your own. And the alchemy of the new idea and the new thought in your head is a collision of ideas. And so it's good that if you're reading and taking in not only stuff about the thing you want to do, but also a breadth of stuff um, related to just things you're interested in and, and things that may not even feel related that can still spark off new ideas in your head. So if you can be reading about sports or about uh, the history of war or about art or about anything and all of these things uh, jumble around in your head and can can generate uh, new thoughts and new ideas and I really think that works across the board in many different disciplines so the trick if you like to to coming up with new ideas is really to imbibe and take in as much as possible and and of a diverse kind as well diverse kinds of uh, of material and content and and let that simmer inside you and 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 i i think naturally then you'll you'll be generating these these new thoughts you know what if this would happen what if this what if someone did this mm -hmm. um and those will be the seeds of those new ideas that you can then begin uh, new projects from do you find there's um something to be said about how if you're listening to somebody speak about something that you're interested in so say you know you're you're listening like there's a musician you okay so imagine you're a person that wants to become a musician and you're listening to musicians that you like and in addition to to their actual creations you're listening to them speak about the creative process and and these are people that you want to emulate do you find that there's a part where they they say things about the creative process that you learn and so you're kind of like listening to what they say and you learn but you're there's also learning that is in addition to that. So you're actually kind of like picking up on their vibes, you might almost say, and just kind of like, and sort of just soaking in their general approach to music making that's beyond what they even just say. Has that been a finding of yours? Yes, although I have a caveat with that, which is um, I'm very, in general, I'm very uh, wary of writing advice. I think it's very useful to read writing advice. Okay, so I'm just going to narrow this down to the topic of writing for a moment, but I'll expand it out in a mm. second. Um, and the reason I'm worried about that is because I think it's such a unique endeavor. I think everyone really needs, it's one of those disciplines where everyone really needs to find their own path and their own voice and their own methods um, and practices. So other people's advice really may not work for you. 
uh, I always think about this in the realm of like relationships. Um, if you're going through a tough time in your relationship and you talk to a friend about it or even a stranger, they'll give you some advice and their advice is very much based on them hearing your story, your relationship troubles and, and factoring in their history of their own relationships and their experience and sort of Mm -hmm. tabulating that equation and figuring out what their best response would be in that scenario. But really it may be nothing at all relevant to what you're experiencing because it's so unique. Mm -hmm. Um, And everyone's, you know, relationships, for example, are just so unique that advice is not always, uh, not always really merited we we all go through very different situations etc and i think creative um projects are very much similar in the sense that they're all so unique that uh one person's advice really doesn't necessarily track with another person's experience so i'm wary of that but what you said about feeling the vibe of a person and sort of learning just from the way that they're living and the way that they're doing things i think that's absolutely true and What's really important about that as well is it's not just about learning from, you know, great people or people who you think are just geniuses and incredible uh, examples of um, of their field, like a great musician, you know, a very or a popular uh, artist or something like that. But really, you can even learn with with the people alongside you, your friends who work in similar things. Um, you know, you if you want to draw people you draw with, you can learn from them. And again, it's not just the practicalities of how they hold their pencil but it's it's maybe the way they engage with their art. You can absolutely learn from that. And that's why it's important to have people that you admire in the field and learn from and read from, etc. But also, it's, if you can, uh, make friends who do the same thing you do, contemporaries um, who do the same thing that you do, you can learn from them as well, and they will learn from you. Uh, there's very much a sort of everyone is lifted up, you know, a rising tide that lifts all ships. Um, with the creative process so i very much believe in that yeah all right on okay so another thing that i wanted to mention which we already did mention earlier is to be is to be very practical about estimating time scales and resources so we already talked about this earlier when we talked about the limits of what you can do in a day and what you can do in a week true and i think with starting a new project it's really um sensible and wise to uh be very clinical about the time that you can spend, the energy that you can spend, the resources that you have to hand and what you're willing to spend towards it, maybe monetarily or in other means. Um, and really, really come up with a budget for yourself. Uh, not only money, like time, energy, all of these things of, of what is required by this new project. I think the more that you uh, do that before, the more planning that you do in advance like that will pay dividends once you start the project because you'll have some ideas about your limits for expenditure again we only have limited time energy money etc and you don't want to be starting a project and finding out that it's demanding much more of you than you'd planned for and you should have a cutoff point where you say well if it goes beyond this i'm not going to do this Uh, so it's good to have bounds in how much time you want a project to take how much energy you want it to take how much money you want to spend on it etc and have those bounds there not as a sort of uh limitation um oppressive feeling that oh i i can't do this thing i'm not going to be able to do this thing but rather a freeing feeling that you can within those bounds you can do whatever you want uh and you can really you know that you're you've allowed yourself to spend this amount of energy on it and you've deliberately uh you know allocated this amount of time energy money etc towards this project and you can feel absolutely free to do that and to make the project um what it what it can be within those parameters 
Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it makes me curious about what. how do you go about when you're starting something that is like basically new? Like, so maybe not even necessarily say a new writing project, but you're just trying a new style of project, say, where you're just, you're really, really moving into the unknown with it. How do you go about setting, um, say, parameters, you know, like time limits, budget limits, and, and so forth, when you're totally going into the unknown? And, and, you know, what would your relationship be with those parameters? Yeah, good question. I mean, the key here is research, really. Um, I can tell you about going into this podcast. I look at, uh, so yeah, with this podcast, we, I looked at other similar podcasts and um, see, saw what they were doing. I, I looked at other similar if not podcasts like adjacent um, things like uh, websites and things like that to see what they were doing. And I looked at the audience for these things and what, what they might be looking for. I, I considered what they might be looking for. And then I frame that up with my resources that I have to hand and uh, think about how much time I want to spend on it, etc. We came up with the idea of doing, doing episodes weekly. And I, once we did that, I had to really frame that into my week and think, you know, how is this possible? What days will I do this on, etc. Um, I do the editing for the podcast. I have to think about what time I'm spending on that, etc. And yeah, so really it's it's a conversation between um I think researching where possible on uh, what people have done before. Uh you're rarely traveling a completely untraveled road in, in creative work. Mm -hmm. And also coming up with, you know, your own limits uh to a point that you're happy with, to a point where you're happy. If I had to spend three days editing, you know, three solid days editing a podcast episode, I think that would be too much for me, right? It would take too much of my week. But I, I consider how long it takes me and I do some practice uh, scenarios and, and figure out um, what this is going to require of me. And I'm able to do the maths and figure out that this this works. And I think that's a good way to go about it. That's interesting. I actually have a totally different approach. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do not do research or or barely any like like for me i actually i don't have too much of a taste for research um a lot of, a lot of people are, are like inclined that way um, my wife is one of them like my wife is like whenever she goes into something she does tons of research and so when she like approaches something she's like like so prepared and so ready and it's amazing and um, for me um i mean you know, my style is in a lot of cases to just wing it for for good and for bad like you know there's definitely there's a hundred percent advantages and disadvantages to it but uh, but you know how I go about it. You since I'm usually making these forays into the unknown without any uh, prior research or barely no research. What I do is I um I, I, I set out parameters for myself that are essentially arbitrary. So they're just guesses basically, and I'm very particular about my relationship with those parameters. So say, for example, um, I want to uh, I want to write something, which I, which I sometimes do. I, I tend to write, say, like little nonfiction ebook readers or whatever. And, and maybe I'm going to write in a new style or I'm going to write something a little bit longer than usual with a little bit more detail. And I'm basically going into the unknown with it. What I'll do is I will set an arbitrary goal that's based on a rough estimate, based on just any like the little paltry amount of information that I actually have. So I'll say, okay, I'm going to get this done in three weeks. And so my relationship with that parameter, with that, with that uh, target is in such a way that I, my promise to myself is that while there's still time on the clock, so while I'm within that, the time period of the three weeks, 
I'm going to do my best and I'm going to really go for it and I'm going to have an actual intention to hit the target. Like a real true blue intention. Like I am going to do this. And then, and then what will happen is I will, as the due date approaches, I will have a sense, I'll kind of have a sense, especially when I get past the halfway mark and certainly past the two thirds mark. So like, you know, kind of heading into the final week about whether or not this is actually going to work or not. And then, and then what I'll, and then if, if it will work, then great, fine. I'll just go ahead, right ahead and finish it. If it won't work, if it turns out I need more time, I will continue to do my best up until the end of those three weeks after which whatever I have done there, I will be very deliberate about, um, congratulating myself, if I'm being totally honest, congratulating myself and appreciating myself and acknowledging my effort. Just, just acknowledging, you know, how far I came, how much I did, the experience and the, the degree to which it was a success. And then after that, when, when that's done and, and there's no, there's no punishment for failure, nothing like that. It's just like, it's basically just moving into, you could almost call it a maternal mode where it's just like being really kind of gentle and encouraging for myself. And then at the end, I will evaluate what I learned and then set a new parameter going into the future that's based on the intelligence of the experience that I gathered. And then that new parameter, that new time limit. So it's like, oh man, you know, maybe, you know, it looks like I'm I'm about halfway, you know, at this three week mark. So I think I'll just give myself another three weeks and that should be a a reasonably intelligent marker for myself. And then, and then I will... And then I'll launch into the next thing and do and go about it exactly the same way. And then so it's in that way that I can make a foray totally into the unknown without knowing anything about it, but doing it in such a way where I'm, I'm still trying my best, but I'm also um, being really good and respectful to myself all the way through. And that tends to be sustainable. Right. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with winging it. And that actually does connect to something I wanted to bring up. Uh, as well which is that you often learn a lot about a new project by starting it absolutely yeah there's you you really cut your teeth once you're once you're you know really getting stuck in and there's a lot of things you can't learn just by reading about something right there's a lot of things that you really learn on the job um within a lot of different disciplines so in that sense yeah i i I understand winging it Uh, i tend to be more on the side of I don't do a lot, a lot of research, but I do a, a certain amount of research um, around a topic to, uh, hmm, it's hard to say how much I feel is enough. I guess that's a very sort of personal thing, but mm-hmm. I think you can do a modicum of research depending on on how, how confident you want to feel going into it. Um, and then, yeah, at some point you just go for it. At some point you you go for it in this, and you really don't know you know, you don't know what you're capable of and, and what you're going to come up with. So to an extent, doing a new thing is always winging it, no matter how much research you've done. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a definitely a fair point. But yeah, and at some point, I think it's super important just to start something and then you really start to get a feel for it. And you can judge better uh, your own, you know, how you should set your own parameters for yourself, how much time and energy this is going to demand of you, etc. You'll just understand the whole project a lot more once you've once you've had a go at it. So this is just kind of popping up for me now. This is um, like a, a really key part. And this and this is like kind of another small thing that can really just kind of uh, I, almost like lubricate the process of starting something. Like uh, if if you, you know, say the listener, if like you've really hung up on this idea of failure 
and and all the implications of failure. Sometimes it's really helpful to just say something. Again, like it's really helpful when it's out loud, but just thinking it can sometimes be enough. But in either case, saying, I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to fail. I'm 100% willing to fail. Yeah. And And it's not like when you say that, it doesn't necessarily, like there's an important distinction because it doesn't necessarily mean you are going to fail because you said that or that you become more likely a failure, but it's just a certain openness to the experience of failure and taking it down from its pedestal in importance. It's just like, fine, like I'm totally willing to fail, 100%. And then that can kind of, that can kind of ease up the, um, the nervousness around, around failure and make it into less of a big deal, which as we are continuing to discover, it is not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I really hold the belief that it's not only not a big deal, it's essential to learning to fail. So I, for me, failures are the stairs to success, right? They're necessary. They're, they're going to be along the way. And yeah, what you're saying about accepting accepting that you might fail is not only important in, in devaluing the, you know, the, uh, oh, how, how bad it is to fail. Oh, it's just a total waste of time. But also also accepting that it's a necessary part of the learning and improving process which i think it is yes yeah utterly essential it's like it's what the movement to success is literally made out of it's the substance of that yeah and just to come back to something i said earlier i really believe this think of someone you admire what are their failures you know you'll you'll not be able to count many compared to their successes they exist they're just not recorded in the same way because they really don't matter. So in the same way, your own failures, your own failures as you learn something new or even, you know, as you try something more difficult, even in a public facing way, they really don't get hold, held against you in any big way. Um, mm-hmm. no, they really don't get added up and very few people pay attention to them. People are much more interested in people's successes than their failures. That is so. So another time, not this time, I want to talk about not just starting a project, but actually bringing it to completion, which is obviously also very important. Yes. And, uh, you know, also the middle process of drudgery, of doing drudgery when it's necessary, of doing the hard work, of powering through when things are not so easy. Uh, When you have a shiny new idea and it's a shiny new thing to work on, it's always, it can be exciting and innovating and keeps you going. And, you know, how do you um, keep that? momentum through uh through what might be a very long project that's another thing to talk about but just today we're mainly talking about just this starting a new thing and maybe you have no trouble at all starting a new thing but hopefully you'll bear these these things in mind about setting parameters for yourself and and um and being selective about uh how you'll do it and the last thing i want to say about it as well is is that uh well it this depends slightly on what the project is exactly but it's important to have fun with it i think it's important to yes. that you're having a good time if it's a self um motivated project that you've come up with for yourself don't make it something that is going to just be you know oppressive and and not make you feel good etc it should be something that you have fun with even during the hard work um and if you can remember that initial impetus that initial spark that set you off on this path to make this thing chase that vision if you can remember that and really you know crystallize it and and hold it close it's always there for you to remind you why you're doing this thing so even through the difficult patches even when it's really hard work and you can't remember why you're doing it you're able to refer back to that first moment that initial impetus where you 
saw this thing in your mind's eye, this vision, and you're chasing it. And um, that will keep you going, I think. I think so too. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about that subject. Um, but I, yeah, I'm in agreement with all of that. In fact, I think I've been finding lately that if the enjoyment, like if you just, like the, usually the way enjoyment works is that like it begins with a lot of enjoyment and then sometimes it'll just slip away gradually over time. And so you just kind of get to this point where you just, you're waking up in the morning getting ready for this thing that you like originally like were super jazzed to do. And now it's just become a burden. And it's like, and, and then it can come to a moment like, oh my God, like, how did that happen? Like, why, you know, why is this thing, you know, that was once just like, like so enticing and so exciting. It's like, it's no longer enjoyable. Let those moments guide you to reclaim the enjoyment. Just as you were saying, David, that was an awesome way of coming at it. It's like, yes, like what, you know, why did we get into this to start with and tune back into that as quickly and as directly as you can? Because it's, my finding is that, it's through enjoyment that we enter into flow. Like there's no flow without some enjoyment. And when we're in flow, as we were speaking about a lot in our, in our other podcast, which was dedicated to that subject, like our greatest creative work comes from flow. So enjoyment is actually a key element to the process and must be reclaimed whenever and wherever possible. Absolutely. Um, so should we talk about our three takeaways? Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Okay, so my first one is um, what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast uh, about my, me decanting ideas and, and being very selective about them, putting them on the shelf. I think it's important about starting new projects, especially if you have an overflow of ideas, to be very deliberate about what ideas you choose to work on and what ideas you're storing away for a later date. And be deliberate, um, do some analysis or, or some at least have some appreciation for the time and energy, uh, etc. It's going to cost you. Do some budget analysis there, and then you, once you have done that, you have a frame in which you can apply yourself wholeheartedly to this thing, knowing that no other projects are necessarily going to distract you out of out of order, and that you know what your limits are, and you can work well within those limits. Number two would be to come into whatever it is that you're doing with a basic willingness to fail, not an intention to fail, but a willingness to fail in the sense of it being okay if failure does happen and making sure that if failure does happen to not contract around it. And when I say that, I mean to not turn it into a big deal, to not turn it into a self-punishment session and to not draw any conclusions about yourself or the craft when you do fail and just letting the simple lesson be there for you to take and then move on into your next iteration as quickly as you can. Yeah, that's a great one. And uh, for the third and final takeaway, I think um, my last point, which we were talking about and uh, which you added to Brent, enjoy yourself and have fun and try and make sure that that's a core of the project experience. Uh, try and make sure that you're uh, enthusiastic about it and can hope to remain enthusiastic throughout the project, even when it's tough going, because that's really what will push you through or pull you through rather and uh, keep you going even when even when it's difficult. And um, you can if you can remember that initial vision that you had of and that, you know, when it was a shiny new idea and not even worked on, if you can remember that idea and uh, the initial uh, force behind it, it will really guide you through to meet this, uh, to bring this idea through to completion. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, that's it for today's episode. 
Thanks for chatting with me about that, Brent. Oh, this is fun. Thank you, too. Yeah, super fun. And obviously, we're super excited to launch, uh, to have launched the, the podcast, um, which uh, has been our preoccupation recently in terms of launching things. And um, hopefully, you've listened to our previous episodes. If not, go check them out. And uh, we'll be back next week with with something new. As always, we really want to hear from from you and hear your thoughts about what we've talked about today. You can contact us on Twitter at skyward underscore spiral or uh, by email um, where the skyward spiral at gmail.com. Be really interested in your thoughts on starting new projects and launching new things. Please let us know what you think. Brent, where can people find you? Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, I agree. It would be really great to hear from you, dear listener. If you feel like you're up for it, if you want to tweet at us or email us, it'd be great. Um, so you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Brent the Coach. Uh, you can find me on YouTube where I'm just giving a lot of talks, telling people how to live their lives. Just put my name, Brent Harris, in YouTube. You'll find me there. And then finally, I have some more in-depth trainings on how to attain high-level sustainable productivity at my website. It's just a free tutorial and a follow-up training series. And so you just go to brentheras.com, B-R-E-N-T-H-U-R-A-S.com, and uh, it will all be there for you to take. And uh, that is all the ways. Yeah, and you can contact me personally. I'm D Whitechapel on Twitter if you want to get in touch with me. And uh, my writing projects, you can search my name and probably find them. I'm not publicizing them too much yet because I'm still working on them. But hopefully by the time you hear this podcast, I'll have um, I'll have more in the works on that front. Uh, but thanks for joining us today and we'll see you next time. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Skyward Spiral. This show was edited by myself and the musical themes are brought to you by Batchberg Music. Information and resources on today's topic can be found in the episode description. Please rate and review the podcast on your preferred podcast app. It really helps. See you next time.